Hey guys, how you doing? It's Jawad with Hit The Apex Podcast. Thank you for tuning in for another week of racing delight, racing commentary, racing chat, racing gripes as well, you know, because I do like to have a bit of a gripe every now and again, but I'm sure you'll find that this is one of the more positive talking or, you know, more, how do I phrase this? Here we go again. <laughs> Probably one of the more positive podcasts when it comes to talking about Formula One. You know, there's a lot of um, negativity that goes on uh, that goes on around it. A lot of negative commentary, and you know, I've explained why it's nothing's going to change anytime soon, anyway. So yeah. I don't know why that came into my head to start things off, but hey, it just seems to <laughs> keep popping up. Um, you see it everywhere, you read it on social media, so it's, it's a bit of a downer too. It's like, you know, we've all got other things that, you know, are bringing us down at the moment. We don't really, the, th- the one thing we rely on to, you know, feel good at the end of the week, you know, it's race day on Sunday, or if you watch the whole weekend, you, you do your practice and qualifyings as well. Um you know, it's the one thing you look forward to, and then if you're going to just bag that, then what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of even bothering to, to show up every weekend and, and watch? So, yeah, again, a big boo to, to the Formula One baggers out there. You know, once upon a time, I probably did the same thing as well, but, you know, you kind of, when you grow and understand the sport a lot more, then you know you have your periods that are going to be great, exciting all the time, and then you're going to have the periods that are not. And, you know, fortunately for everyone, I think, um, this weekend was not one of those unexciting, uneventful races. It was so crazy. First time we've had someone win a Grand Prix since 2013. I was there, the Australian Grand Prix 2013. First time we had someone win a team win that wasn't the big three you know Mercedes Red Bull and Ferrari and you know you would have thought that oh maybe it was one of the teams that are kind of you know on the fringe of the top three at the moment or like the close to the top three you know um, McLaren Racing Point Renault no it was Alpha Tauri yes it was you know like they did in 2008 um when they were Toll Rosso with Sebastian Vettel in the rain, although it didn't rain this weekend, it was Alpha Tauri that uh, came through to win the race, win the Italian Grand Prix, you know, being their home Grand Prix, of course, still the team based in Faenza back when they, you know, still from when they were Minardi back in the day. Red Flag basically set up an epic race, you know, where just even the top three was a big surprise as well, you know, completely new podium combination, kind of like, you know, what we got in Brazil at the end of last year, even though, you know, Lewis Hamilton (laughs) did take the podium that day and um, got the trophy physically before handing it over to Carlos Sainz, but yep, Pierre Gasly, what a redemption story, I guess you got to say, and I'm sure a lot of people were going to immediately jump on the hype train as it were or you know whatever wagon we're we're on this week about oh you know he should go back to Red Bull now it should be a no-brainer you know switch him back straight away I think I stand by what I said and have said over the last few weeks I even penned an article about it last week about how Red Bull have got to stick it out with Albon because you know it's not really Albon's fault at the moment with where he's at form-wise, it's actually a Red Bull problem, and I think if I were Pierre Gasly, even though he's actually said that Red Bull should take another look at me now after this, because I'm a race winner, um, and he's been on the podium too last year, of course, at Brazil, but he's a race winner... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who would have thought that coming into this year that we would have said Pierre Gasly in an Alpha Tauri would be a race winner this year? You know, it's just it's one of those feel good results that I think everyone, as much as people want to bag and whinge about F1 at the moment, I think it's just one of those things that yes, yes, it was like the Austrian Grand Prix last year after the um, misery that was France. You know, the race before. So yes getting it out of the way you know quickly because I'm sure I will want to talk about it more at length but I'm not going to but I still stand by the fact that you know Gasly for this year at least let him stay at AlphaTauri whether next year 
comes is different situation or not or even 2022 when you look at new cars because just when you look at the environments they're two different environments altogether yes i'm just you know it's ad nauseum talking about this but it seems it's ad nauseum listening to other people who constantly want to go on and say that you know Albon should be sacked from Red Bull after you know he finished P9 or whatever oh no he didn't even finish in the points sorry this this race it was he qualified in P9 but Red Bull themselves had an awful race so you know you're not just going to sack Albon because Gasly won the race and Albon didn't finish in the points you know Red Bull themselves had a pretty terrible race so again a lot to do with the car they just need to have a good car, otherwise I see them doing the switch again, even if it is for next year, and Gasly's just going to end up in the same situation, you know, and that's just the way it is. So anyway, actually I forgot to say, how are you guys doing? <laughs> I jumped straight into things because it's like, yeah, you know, I had this energy, I want to get it out straight away, but <clears throat> hope you guys are well. Hope you guys are well. Any any friends kicking around in Melbourne still? Um if you haven't already fled or, you know, fled Melbourne back at the start of the year or whatever, or anyone listening out there in Melbourne, any new listeners, my thoughts are with you, of course, because I live in Melbourne too, but I'm one of the fortunate ones that gets to still travel outside my 5k zone to go to work, but um, anyone who's stuck and locked down in, in isolation or whatever, and then now with the news that we're continuing stage four for another couple of weeks, and, you know, it's not really going to end until the end of October, um, yeah, you know, I feel really bad, and, you know, thoughts are with you, of course, but I guess I see where it's all coming from, too, given that, you know, we want to make sure by Christmas time, by the end of the year, we're not going to be in another lockdown, you know, I just don't think anyone could handle it, you know, businesses can't handle it and stuff like that, so, you know, first and foremost, you know, I'm thinking of you guys, again, feel free to reach out over Twitter, that's where you can find us, um, I'm sure I've got a Gmail for Hit the Apex Media as well, so, you know, jump on whatever platform you can reach us at and um, be happy to have a chat and, you know, um, or just, yeah, enjoy the podcast as well, <laughs> still doing it every week, loving every moment. Anyway, so let's talk about the race too. We've got a bit to talk about anyway for Italian Grand Prix. Then we've got the Tuscan Grand Prix this weekend. Mugello, brand new circuit we're going to for F1, that is, on a, on a Grand Prix. And of course, the um, supercars in Townsville, that uh, wrapped up a four-week spell for, for the Supercars Championship um, over here. So, yeah, basically Red Flag set up an epic Monza race. Yes, Pierre Gasly won the race. Yes, he actually only won it by... 0.4 of a second over Carlos Sainz, so, you know, McLaren, second podium this year, They're sitting very pretty in third in the Constructors' Championship as well, which is not something I would have said at the start of the year, you know, considering how bad Ferrari are doing, and more on them a little bit later, and then Lance Stroll finishing third, which I think, you know, when you look at Stroll out of the top three, I think, you know, as much as Sainz was disappointed to finish runner-up to Gasly, given that, you know, how quick he was, and, you know, he was defiant with how the team was saying you need to take caution take caution and Carlos was like no you know I can see the win in sight I want that win you know and winning a race for McLaren I think would be really special for science given that you know he's leaving him at the end of the year going to Ferrari and it's one of those situations where you're leaving a team but it's not an acrimonious departure it's you know mutual parting mutual you know on a mutual terms the best of terms as well and you know Science pretty much said it when he was questioned last week after the um, the horror show we saw at Spa from Ferrari, whether he's um, regretting or having second thoughts about going over to Ferrari, and Science basically said it's never a bad time to go to Ferrari, so, you know, he still sees the prestige in that team and also where they could possibly go in the future and... I've written quite a lengthy article about this, which I'm hoping will be published on Friday, so keep an eye on that um, via the Raw, um, if you don't already follow articles I write for them there, and also all the live blogging I do for the F1 races too, week in, week out, but yeah, you know, basically saying that I think it's time that we accept the fact that, yes, even a big team like Ferrari, with their millions and millions of dollars, and the fact that they still get the 
bonus money from from F1 as well, even under the new Concord agreement starting from next year, that even the biggest of teams need to, you know, once they admit that they're about to rebuild or go into a period where they've just got to wait for the next cycle, being the new technical regulations for 2022, once they've admitted all that and, you know, said that they're going to stand behind the current team, so, you know, this is Chairman John Elkin, you know, CEO Louis Camilleri, putting their faith in Mattia Bonotto, you know, standing by him, the senior management, the board and everything, showing faith in Bonotto as well, and then Bonotto basically showing that to the people underneath him too. So it's good that they're not really going after any particular person. They're not trying to sack anyone, as would be the case, you know, you would think of Ferrari typically in the past, you know, and it's good to see as well that they've kind of likened, and this has come from the top, that they've likened this period to when Jean Todd first came to the team in 1993 um, and you can if you know your history well for F1 um, you would have known that you know between Jody Schechter's last drivers championship in 1979 um, Ferrari waited more than 20 years before their next championship so you know with Michael Schumacher so we haven't quite reached that gap yet with this current drought since 2007 but you know in order to avoid a repeat of that I think you know they've done well to identify what needs to be done hopefully it means that there's a culture change as well within Maranello because the last few tenures I guess I mean it was really sad because you thought Maurizio Arrivabeni was doing a good job unfortunately it seemed like the culture wasn't up to scratch and that's why we saw a lot of falling out you know Sebastian Vettel we would like to see him do really well at Ferrari as well win a championship emulate Schumacher that didn't happen too so the fact that you know they get to start fresh they've got Charles Leclerc who's you know world champion of the future you got Carlos Sainz coming in there next year who could also be a world champion of the future as well you got two young drivers completely different philosophy now I think Ferrari will have to be a team that we've got to look out for come 2022 if they learn from their mistakes that they've made over the last you know decade basically <clears throat> and are able to start delivering that's basically it with them and you know even this weekend pretty dreadful um home grand prix for them too here at monza um double dnf which you know compared to <laughs> when you look at the results of spa you would have taken you know non you know finishes of the grand prix rather than what happened this weekend so more on that a little bit later anyway um, I want to start from the top and I guess um, up until we had that red flag period in the middle of the race it was looking very much like another walk away from Lewis Hamilton you know targeting his 90th career win of course this weekend or last weekend I should say was on pole position as well had a good start um, and then behind him which you know caught my attention certainly and I'm sure many others as well was that we had Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz or the other way around um, Sainz and Lando up into P2 and 3. Sainz put in you know match to season best qualifying a third anyway he put in a blinding lap on, on on Saturday to be able to get up into P3 so McLaren on genuine pace over the weekend were the second best team you got to say obviously because Mercedes locked out the front row of the grid and this is where I was saying about Red Bull before that they just had a shocking weekend and you know on the grounds of them not performing and even Max Verstappen qualifying down in fifth or whatever before a mechanical failure on his car saw him out of the race you can't sack another driver for, for that you know it's just absurd so again <laughs> yeah I don't know I'm just gonna keep even though I'm not you know like I like Alex Albon I'm, I'm not you know fanboy or anything I'm so you're not gonna certainly see me in the street wearing an Alex Albon cap or even a Red Bull cap as a matter of fact but it's just yeah I'm the more people beat up on him the more I'm probably gonna come to his defense not literally of course he probably doesn't even know who I am but yeah you know enough of it <laughs> um yeah so science and horace up into p2 and 3 which meant that valtteri bottas inevitably had a bad start he was all the way down in p6 and then basically complained for the first lap thinking that he had a puncture on his car like that's how badly his car was handling that he thought he had a puncture and you know that brings up the idea again that Mercedes those cars aren't very good when it comes to following but you know when you look at what Lewis Hamilton did later in the race 
probably you feel the contrary, but, you know, Bottas, again, you know, not really delivering on race day, considering when, you know, Lewis Hamilton was out of contention for the victory and, you know, ended up finishing in the minor points, you would have wanted to capitalise if you were someone like a Valtteri Bottas or a Max Verstappen, and, you know, Max, unfortunately, had a failure to, or mechanical failure to put him out of the race, but for Bottas at least, you know, he could have done better, and that all starts down at the start, and he's not really had many good starts this year, so, you know, that's unfortunate for him, and it just seems, even though he did gain some points back on Lewis Hamilton this weekend, or last weekend, I should say, God, I said that again, Um, it's not enough, you know, he's got to be winning races, he's got to be doing it consistently, so, you know, while we're going to have an odd race here and there, where, you know, we get some odd results, I think, you know, Lewis Hamilton is still going to be the untouchable one when it comes to the end of the season, in Abu Dhabi, so basically where the race got turned on its head, or where the beginning and the end came for Lewis Hamilton, and for everyone else who was hoping that they would be up the pointy end, and didn't end up there, was that we had a safety car deployed on lap 20, so Kevin Magnussen having a, I think it was an engine failure or something like that, Um, it was Ferrari related anyway on the Haas car, so Kevin Magnussen at the final corner, Parks the car on the right-hand side um, near a part of the fence where it looks like, you know, the marshals might be able to recover the car, but unfortunately the car was too wide. So because he was so close to the pit entry, um, marshals got permission to push the car to the pit entry and into the pit lane from where the um, mechanics can recover the car. That means if there's any kind of, you know, yellow flag or um, caution conditions near the pit lane uh, or on the sorry, on the pit, near the pit lane, I should say, then what race control do as per policy and in the regulations is close the pit lane, okay, and there wasn't really much notification about this either from what I understand as well, like I am glued to the live timing screen, Um, I split my screens on the laptop, I've got the live timing on one side, live blog which I'm typing out furiously all the time, (laughs) there's no wonder I need a couple of shots of espresso at 11 p.m. every night because um it's pretty intense that stuff so the the blogging that is espresso I can deal with but um yeah you know there wasn't really much of a notification on the live timing screen either which then when we found out that the pit lane was closed it came through the tv commentary but well after we found out that Lewis Hamilton and Antonio Giovinazzi had actually pitted because they all went around, so those two came in, or notably Hamilton came in, then I'm like, why didn't the other guys come in, you know, Sainz, Norris, etc, etc, why didn't they pit, and then we find out that, yeah, you know, pit lane was closed, so then we're like, ooh, what's going to happen, does that, you know, that's definitely going to result in some kind of a penalty, so... Giovinazzi ended up with a 10 second stop go penalty, Um, it took a little bit of time actually because race resumed on lap 25 and um, we were going to get going again but it pretty much stopped straight after because we had um, a big crash for Charles Leclerc. Uh, thankfully he was okay after it, it was on the outside of the Parabolica corner, nothing to do with brake failure that Sebastian Vettel had a bit early, (laughs) I skipped that over that one didn't I, Um, yeah Vettel basically loses his brakes going into turn one um, and drove straight on at the the chicane, went through the polystyrene um, sponsor boards, but yeah, so, uh, look at that, Science, he's not already at Ferrari, um, Leclerc crashing on the outside, goes into the wall, it's a nasty part of the track to have a crash at, if you remember last year in Formula 3, we saw Alex Peroni, the Aussie, get airborne there, and smack the, um, one of the sponsor boards, <laughs> that was not on the ground either, so, you know, and he walked away from that one alright, needed some recovery, but yeah, Leclerc fine after this crash, basically he lost, lost the car, you know, lost the rear end um, while trying to put the power down coming out of the parabolica, so there you go, that's what caused the red flag, and that's pretty much when we found out as well that um, a 10 second stop go penalty had been given to both drivers who had come into the pit lane during the period in which it was closed, so it didn't take them long to open up the pit lane again before the red flag came out, because that allowed then the likes of Science and Norris and all that to, to come in and pit, um, I think people like Pierre Gasly, they pitted before 
the safety car, you know, they went on to the hard tyre and, you know, hoped to have a long second stint, not knowing that this was all going to unfold. And I guess with Gasly too, he had some contact with Alex Albon at the start of the race. He was supposedly holding up um, teammate Danny Kvyat as well, which is when... Gasly was brought into the pits to to get him out of the traffic and to see what kind of race he would run but ultimately it worked to his benefit because he was at the top of the queue when they were red flagged and the cars were all in the pit lane um Stroll as well then benefited from being able to change his tires under the red flag which controversial rule I know and I guess because it doesn't come up very often or we don't see this sort of yield that it's not really something that the FIA would consider changing. I mean, I was it was interesting hearing um, the Outlap F1 podcast. If you guys haven't heard of them, check them out. They're great. Love listening to them every week on the way home from work early on. Um, and they were saying as well that, yeah, you know, one of the best examples of making gains from this was uh, Haas in 2016 when they red flagged the race in Australia here in Melbourne when Alonso had his monster crash and basically without making a proper pit stop Haas were able to finish fifth in the race with Grosjean that day uh, because they were able to change the tyres during that red flag stop so for, for Stroll that you know it's it should have set him up to win the race honestly and that's where i think you know everyone's gonna just be disappointed and be you know because it's Lance stroll as well you know everyone likes to have a go at him but um yeah you know they that would have set him up for the win but the best thing about red flags now is that if the race is going to be restarted the race director has or race control has discretion over whether they do a standing start from the grid or they do a rolling start on the safety under the safety car and i would presume that if the conditions had been treacherous or something like that then they wouldn't do the standing start but given that it was bone dry there perfect conditions let's go back to the grid and do a standing start hamilton on pole stroll gasly and then the rest you know the alfa romeos were up there too because they had pitted early and um had benefited from track position except for Giovinazzi who was about to take a penalty but all before that happened and the race got restarted and everything like that Hamilton actually went up during the red flag break to the stewards to see what had gone wrong so basically to unfold this all it's like double double white crosses on a red background that comes up on the um, led screens or the led marshal screens around the track and where lewis was coming out of um, parabolica that sign is instead of being on the you know inside of the corner where you know your vision is kind of focusing on it's on the outside of the corner way beyond you know where the runoff is as well so there's an argument to kind of defend him and say look you know he wouldn't have seen it and the way mercedes found out ultimately is you had one of the engineers at Brackley back at their base in the UK who had heard them say and by the time he got that communication over to the team on site there at Monza it was already too late you know Hamilton had already pitted and basically the damage was done so I guess what Hamilton was trying to do with his trip to the stewards mid-race was to try and you know clarify and ascertain you know what he had done wrong and see a video replay of it as well you know i guess if he wanted to do that he could just go into the garage and do that or you know um his personal trainer Angela she could have come out with you know if they would have had a replay bite already on on screen they could show him on a mobile phone don't know why you had to go up to the stewards to to get that clarification straight away but damage is done and you know when you look at the harshness of the penalty too I think because it's a pit lane issue and pit lane everything is to do with safety you want to have to you would have to penalize them as harsh as possible um given the circumstances i mean imagine if because the marshals were pushing the car of magnuson back into the pit lane using that pit road basically pit entry road imagine if a car comes blazing around parabolica and is about to pit you know and you know this is before they put on their pit limiter as well i mean that's a nasty situation you're looking at there so when you look at from it when you look at it from that perspective, the safety aspect of it, then it's um, a no-brainer. And I guess, I guess because it's you know, it it took Hamilton out of the race, it changed the fortunes of the race for the better. I guess you know the fact that we had some new winners and everything. 
it wasn't frowned upon too much, but Mercedes would be seething at the fact that that result got away from them when, when it was pretty certain. So I guess what the FIA could probably do to improve this situation is, you know, have a bit more clarity about um, the pit lane being closed, even with the live timing, have, you know, more clear instruction at the top of the screen or whatever. I'm sure it's different when you're at the track. I mean, I know it's different from the track, lifetiming that they have in the media center because i've been there and done it but yeah the fact that you know on the lifetiming we got at home it didn't come up straight away or it didn't come up at all you have to go to the commentary feed or whatever where they got their own kind of blog style feed happening there to, to have found out that the pit lane had been closed so speaking of closed that case is closed now so we'll move on from there and basically when the race race restarted Hamilton was out he got sent to the back of the grid after that um, penalty so he went into a race of recovery and you know what we were saying about Bottas before not being able to drive that car in dirty air and in traffic well (laughs) no one gave Lewis that memo so he ended up coming back and finishing seventh in the end so solid result minimized the damage they kind of projected i think it was p6 or something for him so to come back and finish seventh as well great result for hamilton uh the win he'll get it next time i'm sure but the rest of the race as far as it panned out too um other interesting points to make lando norris actually lost time in the pits as a result of the double stack for mclaren but he finished p4 he was well behind Lance Stroll though so still a solid result for the McLaren team who came away from the weekend with the most points hence why they're solidifying their position in P3 at the moment in the Constructors Championship you know it benefited the McLarens actually the standing start because they had cars to pass you know as far as getting that track position back and it helped as well that Lance Stroll butchered his start. He ended up um, going off, I think, at the Ascari chicane as well, which gifted uh, science another position. So basically at the end of the race, it was a battle between science and Gasly. Science, you know, setting such good lap times, closing him down every lap, but ultimately it wasn't enough in the end. You know, the question of whether the engine modes or the lack thereof over the weekend... Um, actually hurt science's chances of winning maybe you know you still got the ers deployment as well that you can use but engine mode you know turning it up and everything i mean for someone like science too who's gone through quite a few power units this year he wouldn't want to damage it any further like he wouldn't want it to cause any damage uh to the one he's currently on either so in that respect you could say it was a good thing but you know he just wanted the win we all wanted the win you know mclaren having not won since 2012 it would have been nice to see the victory but you know those days are coming whether science can get one this year or not will be um will be it will remain to be seen and if anything science was really filthy after the race about the red flag saying that that basically cost him the win um if we didn't get the red flag come out if we didn't have charlotte Leclerc have his crash um in hindsight what would have happened is that you know hamilton would have still had that penalty for not um you know for for coming into the pits while the pit lane was closed science would have been able to get back on like he wouldn't have had to worry about stroll because stroll would have had to pit he still had the likes of gasly raikkonen and and juvenazzi ahead but you know he perhaps would have had more of an opportunity to be able to pass gasly because you know gasly ended up saving those hard tires and you know you saw at the end of the race when gasly's pace was dropping off that um science still had a better grip on those medium tires so i think it would have played out differently if that was the case and um you know it's good to see that confidence there in mclaren and and from carlos Sainz as well so good on them for that really exciting um still they finished on the podium so you know i'm going to be happy with that two podiums for the year bottas p5 again saying he didn't capitalize on the mistake for hamilton it was yeah you know what do you say about Bottas you know be lucky to win another race this year unfortunately um stunning drive back from Lewis to score points already said that double points for Renault um Alpha Tauri as well Kvyat finishing ninth and racing point with Checo there in the top 10 as well in 10th actually 
But quickly while we're on Renault as well, some major news coming in last week before the weekend uh, started, and that's the fact that the Renault F1 team are going to undergo a rebrand for next year, so they're going to switch to Alpine Racing. Alpine, of course, for people who don't know, is like a um, performance arm that the French manufacturer has, you know, it's kind of like an AMG, but they build their own cars and all that. So they're rebranding to Alpine next year, which means completely new livery, maybe a whole new, you know, management team as well. Um, and I guess what this is basically is, you know, not that Renault are rubbish, but it's just a marketing exercise, branding exercise. It'll still be the same team. It's basically just switching colors and, and switching the name like um, AlphaTauri did this year from Toro Rosso. So good on those guys. Fernando Alonso will not be making a comeback with Renault then next year to be with Alpine. And, you know, for those um, eagle-eyed viewers who or listeners, I should say, who watch the World Endurance Championship, you'll know the Alpine um, Signatech team in that category as well. And, you know, they've got a pretty cool livery that as well i understand so we look forward to that um racing point already talked about but i guess kind of sadly um nicholas latifi missing out on points there in 11th and i think because you know the sentiment over the weekend and this happened you know not long after i recorded the last podcast was the announcement that uh Claire Williams would be stepping down from her role as deputy team principal of that team after the Monza Grand Prix was done and also it marked the end of an era for the Williams team because the entire Williams family basically Claire and her dad Sir Frank Williams um, who still in to this day or till you know at the end of the weekend had been team principal of the team which you know 43 years that Williams have been in the sport um, that, you know, they would be stepping aside from Formula 1 altogether. So, fair bit of emotion and, and sentiment around that, you know, personally, and I wrote about this in an article that got published today, so you can have a look at that if you feel like, that I think it, um, sorry, I think the timing is right, you know, given that we've got these new owners who've come in, new investment to the team with Doralton Capital, um, and from what we hear is that, they wanted Williams and Claire Williams to stay on, you know, and and help the team and everything, but it was a, a decision from her, a decision from the family that, you know, they feel the timing is right, and, you know, now, I guess, after that as well, you've got the current CEO in Mike O'Driscoll saying that he's going to retire as well soon, you know, um, stepping down from his role as CEO of, of Williams Racing or Williams Grand Prix Engineering, um so yeah end of an era really for Williams and it would have been nice if they could have scored some points but I'm sure you know they appreciate uh, what the team has put in this year given the difficult circumstances that they're in as a team and you know the difficult decision that Claire had to make earlier in the year to do the strategic review which resulted in the team being put up for sale which you know something that Sir Frank has long resisted you know I mean go back to the mid-2000s and BMW were ready to buy that team and um, Frank said nope uh, which you know it would have involved a complete rebrand you know BMW factory team without the Williams on it as well so given the fact that this is a family team and everything um, and I said this last time too when talking about Doralton Capital it's good to see that they're going to continue using the Williams name the Williams heritage will live on and why not because that's where you know that's the asset of the brand so yeah you know ultimately because they're moving on it's sad but at the same time I think it's the start of a new chapter for Williams you know they've you know Claire on her way out was able to sign the new Concord agreement um, which will set up uh, Williams for the budget cap era that'll come up for the sport new technical regulations too so I think there's a lot to look forward to if you're a Williams fan about the future if they can um, get everything right so unlike you know their strategist during qualifying which left um, George Russell a little bit angry and I was going to talk again about you know Monza qualifying and the shenanigans that everyone gets up to there and whether you know that it raises the question about should we look at uh, qualifying formats again? Should we have a top 10 shootout for Q3, even though Q3 wasn't the problem this year? Or do like a segmented 
qualifying, like qualifying groups like we see in Formula E, and then do a super pole at the end as well. So, you know, that'll be another thing to talk about, maybe next time in a bit more depth, because um, good old Ross Braun is talking about reverse grid races again and saying how... Um, because of the result that we had with Gasly winning science and Stroll on the podium, you know, this is not a bad idea to look at F1 reverse grid qualifying races and all that sort of stuff. So it's, uh, don't want to hear about that again. <laughs> Very gimmicky. At least what happened here was not, you know, due to a gimmick. It was a real variable, you know, the odds, I think, you know, someone actually got the correct bet on the podium or something as well, you know, something like 166,000 to one. Jeez. One lucky punter, you got to say, <laughs> just as I have a bit of a yawn um, away from the mic. But um, yeah, you know, for Williams, start of a new era, end of an old era, I guess. They're a successful team for people who don't know. You know, second most successful team as far as Constructors' Championships are concerned. Famous names, you know, for me, Alan Jones, obviously being their first world champion, of course, um, second ever Aussie F1 world champion, then you look at the names like PK, Mansell, the driven with a team and won with a team, Damon Hill, Jacques Villeneuve, Alan Prost as well, 93 winning the championship, and then of course being the team where Ayrton Senna tragically passed away as well in 1994, so yeah, Williams not short of um, a few legendary drivers in the past, and of course, who can forget Pastor Maldonado, <laughs> legendary driver in his own right, won Williams their last Grand Prix back in 2012, so for that he goes down as a, as a legend in the um, Williams history books there, so quickly I guess wrapping it up here for, for Monza, you know, Alex Albon there 15th as I said before, and you know, raising the question obviously with Gasly winning about doing the switch between the two, I think for this year it's not on, if you want to do one, maybe do it next year, but how would that, you know, work for Albon's confidence as well, you know, and I talk about the mental health of these Red Bull drivers moving back and forth like ping-pongs between two teams and whatnot, you know, Gasly as well, I think, you know, with that result, it put him on the radar of other teams as well, which would be good to see if someone else could pick him up, you know, maybe even for Alpine in the future, you know, if um, Fernando Alonso, after he retires and Gasly's a free agent, he could go there, have an all-French lineup between he and Ocon, although I hear they're not the greatest of mates these days, don't know why, <laughs> you, just hear these sort <coughs> you just hear these sort of things happening, but um, yeah, you know, I think with, with a win under your belt, with a Formula 1 race win under your belt, you know, your stocks are going to be high, of course, unless your name is Heike Kovalainen. <laughs> Welcome to the world of winning. <laughs> I don't know why that sticks with me so much, but hey, <laughs> whatever. Um, moving on then, Tuscan Grand Prix preview, and there's actually not a lot I can talk about, given that this is the first time we're heading to this circuit. You know, I can talk to you about the circuit, you know, because I've, you know, watched it over the years over MotoGP and even booted up Forza Motorsport last night to cut a few laps in the uh, the RS Renault 17, the F1 car from, sorry, from 2017, which, you know, I guess the closest representation you're going to get of today's F1 car in the game, obviously, without the halo, but for some reason in Forza, every time you accelerate and put your go over 70 mile an hour the drs flap opens because they have is haven't programmed in you know player activated drs and stuff like that you know cars are too talky and um, i'm not gonna go into doing a mini review of forza motorsport 7 i love the game still because it's forza but yeah you know could have could have represented the f1 car a lot better but yeah you know first of the new tracks for 2020 the revised calendar Ferrari's 1,000th race as well, you know, because they've named the event after them, whether it's actually going to see a good result for Ferrari, I think they're going to just hope that points will be available for them this weekend, and supposedly supposedly as well, they're going to come out with a classic livery too, so that'll pay tribute to um, their history, but yeah, points might be the only, only salvation for them. <sighs> Sorry, <laughs> and I don't cut these things out either because I'm like, yeah, keep it real. You know, as long as I don't swear, I think I should be fine. Um, 
<laughs> anyway, weather-wise, it looks set to be hot as well in the low 30s. No rain forecast as well. And given the fact that it is a bit of a demanding track, a lot of undulation. It's fast, 5.2k in length, I think. It's going to be a tough race for the drivers, especially when they're learning it still, learning all your new breakpoints and everything like that. Um, being there in person, it's completely different to how it would be represented on the simulator. Uh, got the 1.1 kilometer straight as well, the main straight, um, heading into San Donato, the first corner. And I've talked about that all along with MotoGP, how frightening and exciting it is, you know, going over that hill when you pass the start finish line, go up it and then you know you see then you see the first corner you don't see it from when um you're on the start line or whatever you basically go over the hill and then that's when San Donato starts you know sweeping right hander that it is and I just think back to that horrific crash that Mark Marquez had in MotoGP back in 2013 you know basically going flying um off his bike into San Donato 330 kilometers an hour or something ridiculous like that so yeah fast corner scary corner so in an f1 car i'm sure it'll be um pretty scary as well even though it's not as open as a bike but um some of my favorite portions of the track and it was nice revisiting them in the game last night too um is the section of turn six seven and eight so you've got the fast right left hand sequence of casanova and savelli going downhill as well so you know you're going downhill and wonder want to see if you know the f1 car can do it flat through there i probably don't think so initially but maybe they could work their way up to it and then once you come out of savelli um then <clears throat> you got a right hand bend coming up which is fast as well arabiata one which is turn eight and that's gonna go take you back uphill so you've come down casanova savelli do a little bit of a straight and then you're going back up again you know towards Arabiata 2 and then into the the kind of infield section so very very exciting beyond Eddie as well turn 13 kind of a same you know instead of right left it's uh, left right um, heading into the final corner of course which is another swooping left hander that'll take you back on the straight so going to be very fast going to be very exciting I can't wait for the first practice session I'm I know it's not going to be one of those dull sessions either because everyone's going to want to get on the track as soon as possible to learn the ins and outs of what makes Magello tick and hopefully we get a good race there too. I mean, I'm not predicting too much overtaking um, given that it kind of reminds me of Barcelona because, you know, motorcycle tracks and, you know, motorcycle track like Barcelona, we don't see much overtaking anyway, but... Um, yeah, you know, hopefully we get a good uh, good race out of it. Otherwise, it's going to be a Mercedes win again. Anyway, moving it on, let's talk supercars now. And actually, before we do supercars, I just forgot to completely mention this. Um, exciting to hear as well, Lewis Hamilton starting his own race team um, in the Extreme E category. So, for those not familiar with Extreme E, um, it's a all-new off-road electric series that's going to travel the world, going to different ecosystems, different environments, um, going to be as grueling as Dakar, and going to places in the world that have been directly affected by climate climate change and you know bringing a all-electric carbon neutral product to them is going to be you know it's a way for sending an environmentally friendly message as well you know this is Alejandro Agag the founding father of Formula E his new pet project as well which has been good to see and actually um, perfect time to give you a plug guys uh, Region E Racing Podcast Dino and Chris um, great guys great guys <laughs> um, this is they introduced this to me actually last time they were on the podcast so if you want to go back through my old episodes I think it was called Ringers and Mash Up um, classic play on uh Bangers and Mash, and I think we were talking about Ringers as well, about Daniel Apton and the um, Formula E Race at Home Challenge. But yeah, um, they introduced it to me. I was pretty intrigued from what I was reading about it and, you know, how many high profile, you know, motorsport identities are involved in it, you know, names like Andretti and whatnot 
from from America, then drivers as well. They've got quite a few involved, which is really good to see. So yeah, now Lewis Hamilton with his own team, X44, they're called, and I guess perfect kind of brand alignment for Hamilton as well, given that he's all about you know sustainable future and this sort of stuff and while he's not you know totally on the formula e boat just yet you know this is a step in the right direction so that's really good to hear um shout out again to you guys dino and chris hope you're doing well uh and hope to hear your next podcast soon as well they um did a good wrap up of the uh the epic finale we had a formula e in berlin you know with those six races in nine days or whatever so you know and um good old chris was right with one of his predictions too with Rene rast getting on the podium i think i've mentioned it before but why not mention it again hey good on you mate um so let's get back to supercars as well um four weeks four weeks in a row and it's you know can't imagine how the teams are feeling particularly those poor victorian teams who i think for father's day on the weekend they were just able to like some of them or tickford i think were able to see some of their families they were flown up there to queensland so you know everyone doing it tough of course but the championship rolls on and we thank them for being there doing their job so that we can actually see a championship and you know commentate on it spectate whatever it is so yeah you know shout out to you guys they're doing that uh we saw scott mclaughlin open the account for the weekend with a win race 22 but he extended his championship lead overall he actually finished on the podium for the next couple of races uh behind shane van gisbergen good return to form for him as well but um let's talk about that first race real quickly mclaughlin winning over Cameron Waters and Chaz Mostert, 3.4 seconds. So we're consistently kind of seeing the same names up on the podium, Waters and Mostert, which is good to see. McLaughlin, though, race 23, had to concede for P2 on the day, you know, given how far Shane was ahead. He's like, you know, Shane's not my direct championship rival, so I'm not going to take any risks in this one but overall from 123 points coming into the weekend after the first Townsville Super Sprint he extended that lead to 143 points so you know great gains for him I mean he took a big hit last time out or in the first Townsville Super Sprint weekend you know the fact that Jamie Wincup uh, was on the podium both races on Sunday as well means that you know he wasn't able to extend the gap so far but you know he's still holding that advantage which is going to be crucial because we've got only three rounds to go in the championship uh two more at the bend which will be super sprint rounds so again you know we can see 300 points being split across three different races and then of course the big daddy of them all at Bathurst come October so what else happened in the weekend? Well, we were a bit shocked to see Brad Jones racing on pole position for both Sunday races, race 23 and race 24. So Nick Perkat taking the first pole position and then Todd Hazelwood for the second. Um, the margins between the two BGR drivers in the second qualifying was quite um, quite scarce. Like It was very minor um, or very little margin. Uh, Scott McLaughlin, unfortunately, ended up balked in that qualifying. He could have gone better, but um, Gary Jacobson was caught impeding on the exit of the final corner. He was able to, you know, uh, Gary got a penalty for that at the end of the day, while Scott qualified all the way down in 10th. So, you know, I mean, it was still good to see him back up there fighting for the win at the end of that race, but um, ultimately Van Gisbergen was able to get him. But in race 23, Perkat, who was the pole setter, was beaten um, in the first phase of the race by Van Gisbergen. And he was basically then bumped off the podium come the end of the race. Um, so the way it all panned out, lap 7, turn 13, that was like Shane's signature corner all weekend. Made the pass on him and uh, basically said sayonara. Whereas um, Nick Perkat during that race, he had a later pit stop, um, rejoining P5th or P5 effectively, and wasn't able to get past the cars ahead, so, you know, you had Wincup McLaughlin, I think, um, might have been Mostert up there as well, and uh, Shane obviously winning the race by 8.4 seconds, which also happened to be Triple Eight Race Engineering's 200th win in the Supercars Championship, which I think for an individual team, you know, not like a team name, because HRT's switched identities over the years, FPR and all that too, but for Triple Eight, you know, I think it's the most wins for any team 
individual team in supercars. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, anyone out there who knows their supercar stats and is listening. But yeah, for a team that made its debut in Australia back in 2003 at Sandown, Roland Dane coming over from uh, <laughs> Roland Dane coming over from the UK from British Touring Car Championship and taking on this incredibly competitive and fierce championship in Australia. They've now got eight drivers championships, nine teams championships, and seven Bathurst 1000 victories. You know they've done GT racing now as well, but you know focusing on their 200th supercars win. Um, it is so, so, you know, such a great achievement that we've got to really take our hats off and appreciate. I know Red Bull cop a lot of grief because of the way they go about business and all that, but I think, you know, there's a lot of fans out there too, so I'm sure they're proud of this result. And good good comeback for Shane too, because he was down in the dumps again after Saturday having a um, power steering failure, got taken out of the race, and then basically... Come race 24, the final race on, on Saturday, or sorry, Sunday, was able to capitalise on the safety car that we had on lap 24 when Anton Di Pasquale found the wall, uh, had a mechanical failure, I think, in the Penrite car, and um, Shane qualified down in 12th, actually, so he was able to make good gains. He was on fresher tyres of anyone at the end of the race when the safety car came back in, started picking everyone off um all the way to P1, Todd Hazelwood, who was fighting for the win with Scott McLaughlin before the safety car came out, um, ended up falling behind. Whereas in the end, the battle for the win come the final three laps was between, or when the safety car restart occurred, was between the two Triple Eight cars and McLaughlin. So, real bone of contention I guess among some groups and it created a bit of a rival you know a bit of a rivalry heat up again between the two parties McLaughlin and Van Gisbergen is Shane's contentious move with three laps to go at turn 13 so he goes for the dive bomb on Scotty kind of pushes him wide a little bit like not you know bumper to bumper or you know panel to panel but kind of just kept Scotty on the outside of the corner as much as he could because then Jamie Wincup had the opportunity to and Wincup wasn't too far behind. He was basically there. Wincup had the opportunity to take the inside and actually relegate McLaughlin two positions from first to third and Triple Eight were able to go on and get the one two. It's a nice bit of rivalry, you know, bit of war of the words between the two teams and I think Shane was bringing up some past demons for, for Shelby Power Racing as well with Bathurst and Bathurst last year and Debris, <laughs> if you all remember how that all panned out. So when this championship's heating up, I think um, they're going to start digging at each other and you know the mind games are start going to come out and that's what you know they were talking about over the weekend, particularly I think in relation to Fabian Coulthard as well, Jamie Wincup was um, supposedly playing mind games with him too when it came to the team's championship. So it is what it is. We've got three rounds, uh, and I hate saying it is what it is. I don't know why I said that. Got three rounds to go this year. Total of seven races. You got 900 points on the table. Winner, I guess, takes it all. Just, uh, I don't know why I've got the ABBA song in my head now. And on that note, I think it's time to finish the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can always, as I said before, reach out to us on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. And can't wait for the race this weekend. Magello. Until then, cheers. Bye.